she brought, she, she harnessed the power uh, of agreement and thinking. We were teaching on these things in, in class, and it's just another practical example of this. And so as I begin to meditate that um, statement that I'm God's idea, Well, when we are looking for ideas, normally we're trying to solve a problem, some kind of challenge that we've got to figure out what to do, how to work this out, how to, you know, or some convenience. You know, everything in this created realm started as an idea, right? Before a light bulb ever put light in our, in our house, um, it was an idea. Are you seeing this? Okay. So I'm going to say it again. Everything in this created realm began as an idea, including you. So we know who had the idea of the light bulb. We know who had the idea. And, and there was, I'm sure, a lot of people, but the one who brought it to fruition, you know. But who had the idea of you? See, it, it wasn't you. See, that, that's, we think that, we think that, you know, we're a product of our own idea. No. No. You were his idea. Which then brings us to the next question. What solution was he looking for when we came to his mind as an idea? It certainly wasn't a problem. I mean, you follow what I'm saying? It wasn't like God's, you know, I, I wrote this in, in a, some of my notes. You know, can you imagine... Uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit staying up all night trying to figure out a solution to a challenging situation. No, I mean, that's not, that's not God. That's not he. How great is our God, right? So he led me to this next conclusion. Is that the solution that you originated in the heart and mind of God for as an idea to uh, resolve for him, it was not a need, it was a desire. See, watch this now. God had a desire in his heart, and he's trying to figure out how to satisfy that desire. This was the thought process in the heart and mind of God. Remember now, this is before there's a cosmos. This is before there's a human being. This is, this, this is before any of that, right? He's got this desire in his heart. that he's wanting to satisfy. Now, I don't know if this conversation actually took place or not, but I can imagine this. I believe it did, again, meditating this. I don't know if it was Jesus. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit. I don't know if it was God the Father, but one of them said, I have an idea. I want you to picture God sitting on the throne with a big light bulb over his head. And your face in that light bulb. Okay. I got an idea. Let's create a being unlike any other thing we've ever created. So much like us in both resemblance and function that they narrowly missed being us. And let's open up our hearts to them. 
and let them share and enjoy what we've shared together and enjoyed for zillions of years. See, God didn't create you because he had some need he needed you to go fix for him. He created you because of a desire in his heart to share himself with you. If you're a singer, guess what you want to do? You want to sing. If you're a writer, guess what you want to do? You want to write. I was a preacher who tried to be a, when I say a preacher, I'm talking about put in my mother's womb to preach the gospel. Come out of my mother's womb looking for somebody to preach the gospel to. I'm a preacher. If I, listen, see, here's the thing. If I'd have never preached a single sermon, I'd live my whole life and died a preacher. Nothing about doing, it's about being. But when you be something, you want to do that thing. And you'll never be satisfied doing something else. I tried to be a cabinet man. I tried to be a businessman. Pam put the kids to bed one Saturday night. She walked in the den. She saw a look on my face, and she started crying. And I said, honey, I don't want you to misunderstand me. It has nothing to do with suicide, but I don't want to live anymore if I can't preach. Because if that's, if, that's, if that's who you be, that's what you want to do. You're seeing this, right? So what if you be love? Because he is love, right? John 4, 8, 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 4, 16. God is love. He doesn't just have love. It's not, it's not something he does on the, you know, in his spare time. It's who he is. Let me tell you why he's so generous. Because he's love. Let me tell you why he's so patient. Because he's love. Let me tell you why he's so merciful. Because he's love. You know why he withholds from us what we deserve based upon our choices and actions? Because he's love. You know why he gives to us things that we don't deserve, couldn't earn, couldn't pay for if we tried? You know why he freely gives them to us? Because he's love. Grace is God expressing himself. It's who he is. It's his nature. guess what see if you'll begin to understand that you're his idea and it was an idea to solve a situation that he was dealing with and the situation was one of desire and not need that he created you to fulfill a desire that he had in his heart as you begin to understand what that desire is see now all of a sudden you start to understand who he is and what he's like a whole lot more but you also begin to understand who you are to him and and why he's done for you what he's done for you why he's given to you what he's given to you why he created you the way he created you he created you because he wanted to share himself with you he created you because he's love and he's god and he's great and he's got a lot of love and so he's looking for somebody who will let him love them are you seeing this it's a big idea, man. Now, connected to all that is a whole lot of really important details. And it's details that the enemy has come against in the body of Christ for a couple of reasons. One, he doesn't want you to know the truth, obviously, because the truth will enable you to not just live in 
freedom, and when I say freedom, I don't just mean freedom from lust and desires of the flesh. I'm talking about freedom from the limitations of the flesh. Amen. Living on a level that you can't get to by yourself. But the other reason that, that, that the, the enemy is, is um, I don't know if it's a reason, if I'm, I don't know if I'm saying that the, the, the right way, is that, praise God, thank you, Holy Spirit. He's, he's used religious tradition to spin a yarn and present things to us in a way that are so misleading. Let me give you just a simple example. I'm just a man like everybody else. No, you're not. No, you're not. If you're born again, the Bible says you are no longer a mere man. It's not who you are. So when, when I, I need to come back to that. Just some things in my heart. I could say it in tongues, but amen. But let me. God created you and me in such a way as to bear his image in this created realm. To, to know him and to love him and to be loved by him. And there are some things that, thank you, Holy Spirit, this is, this, is, this is the way it needs to be said. There are some things that are so central to the gospel. When I say common, I don't mean common like, like common, like not valuable, not precious, but common in the sense of how it's supposed to be where the gospel is concerned, that religion has, um, I haven't prayed yet, have I? That's okay. That religion has, has made to seem not just extreme, but, but so far removed from it. Let, let, me, let me give you an example. Ephesians 2 says that you um, are seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places. That, that you've been raised up together with him that you once had the, the nature of a, uh, a child of wrath, but that you've now become a partaker of the divine nature of God. Now, let me, let me just show you. Seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places, not will be, are right now. Okay? You say, I don't understand that, Pastor Mark. It's because your brain can't understand it. It's not something to understand with a meat computer. It's something to be received with the heart. Back to those verses last week that, that talk about what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live versus the Bible scriptures that tell us things that are simply true about us because we're God's children. You are seated together with Him in heavenly places. That, is simp- that verse ex- exists to indicate something that's true about you. But watch this now. Do you know what we call this doctrine of being seated together with Jesus in heavenly places? We call it salvation. It's what it means to be saved. To be saved means to have been crucified with Christ. To be saved means to have been buried with Christ. To be saved means to be raised up together with Him to newness of life. To be saved means now to be seated together with Him in the heavenly places. 
How many times in the church you grew up in when an invitation for salvation was extended, did they ever ask you if you wanted to come and receive Jesus so you can sit together with him in heavenly places? See, that, that's like, what? It seems so foreign. It seems so bizarre. It seems so fringe. It, it, uh, you know, it's, it's like for the fanatics that are out there on the, on the, on the uh, side, you know, you know, out on the far extremes of Christianity. We're mainline Christians. You know, we're, we're, this, this is mainline Christianity. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is mainline salvation. It's what you were saved for. For the Son of God to come and live in you and then live through you. Father, as we go a little deeper into this in the time that we have remaining tonight, I thank you for helping us. Lord, there are some things here that we've heard before, but we haven't heard them yet like we need to hear them, and we still, even after we hear them the way we need to hear them, we still ain't heard them the way we're going to hear them. Because there's depth and there's degree to these things, there's revelation. Father, that um, my best intellectual efforts can never, ever communicate this message, Lord, uh, as only it can be and has to be communicated to individual men and women by the Holy Spirit and by, by Him opening our eyes and removing the veil to these things. But Father, I thank You tonight that You had a big idea a long time ago. And that big idea is... At least as far as we know, Father, it's the biggest idea you've ever had in all of eternity. Help us understand what that idea is and what our part in it is. Despite what traditional religion may have tried to tell us our whole lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All right, let me put a few verses on the screen. We've still got a few minutes. You got a few minutes? All right, a little different tonight, but that's okay. So um, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, if you don't understand God's idea concerning you, this verse will just be almost ridiculous to you because how could we ever imitate God? How could we ever, as the Amplified Version puts it, copy Him and follow His example as well-beloved children imitate their father? See, so many people view Christianity as some impossible standard to live up to. Listen to me now. To, to, to live the life that God created you to live without Him is impossible. But because we haven't had it correctly explained to us from the scriptures, we've missed out on the benefit of Christ in us working in and living in and living through us. Okay. Now here's another verse that we've looked at a lot here of late. 1 John 4, 17 and 18. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. 
I was asked this week about seeing things in verses that you've never seen before, even though you've read them before. And just to encourage uh, my brothers that were asking me about that, the answer is absolutely. And this is a classic example. Um, I have for, I don't know, 30 years, I've preached from this, this passage. But I guess three weeks ago now, the Holy Spirit whispered in my spirit as I read, as he is, so are we in this world. He whispered one word in my spirit, and that word was discipleship. Because discipleship is I'm trying to think how to say it quickly. Remember, well, amen. We covered Didasco Manthano. This is when the one teaching is not just teaching to pass along information, but he's teaching for the purpose of reproducing, assimilating, making similar, reproducing himself in the one who's being taught. So Luke 6.40 says, the disciple's not above his master, but the, the disciple who's perfectly trained by the master will be just like his master. See, this is discipleship. This is Jesus uh, taught didasco to men and women who are willing to make the commitment necessary called manthano, an intense effort to learn by experience. Because Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He didn't come to start a branch of an existing religion. He came to bring his father's kingdom to the earth, put that kingdom in us so that we could then live from that kingdom in this earth to glorify our father. And so we said the, the ultimate goal of discipleship is the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. I want to say that to you so many times that, that you can say it without even having to look at your notes, okay? I've said before, and I stand by it, that the battle cry of the church is um, kingdom come, be done, will of God on earth as it is in heaven. But this, this warrior's cry, this comprehension and understanding of discipleship, see, this is central to the big idea that God had involving you. Was for him to be able to come and live in you so that he could ultimately live through you. Not, and I'm going to get into this in greater detail in the, in the days ahead, See, we hear that and we think, oh, I don't know about that. No, no, see, not to overwhelm you, not to push you aside. Why do you think he made us all different? Why do you think no one has ever been exactly like you? Even if you're an identical twin, still not exactly like you. Anybody ever know identical twins that have different personalities, different? Yeah, it's, even if they, their physical body looks the same, you realize that like the fingerprint that you've got there, it's just, it's just one of a zillion confirmations that you are a unique individual created by God. He doesn't want to come to live inside of you to overwhelm or put aside your uniqueness. He wants to bring him himself alongside your uniqueness so that now as he lives through you, he lives through you in a way that he's never been able to live through anybody else that's ever lived or ever will live. So the goal, of the, the goal of discipleship is the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. In other words, what's true about you in your born-again spirit becoming obvious and apparent 
through you in, in your outward life and, and living. Which then leads us to another subject. This is a, this, there's a lot to all this, and I'm just, maybe I'm just trying to give you some overview and some, a taste of it tonight. But when we start talking about the inward reality of the new birth, see, we, what does that mean? I mean, it sounds good, you know, inward reality of the new birth. What is the inward reality of the new, the inward reality of the new birth? The inward reality of the new birth is that Jesus himself lives in you now. So for the inward reality of the new birth, the ultimate expression of that is Jesus in your life. Now, we're kind of pivoting on our the love study. And the Lord will lead us, and in, in if we need, if we come back to that, we will. Um, but we said last week that the love, not just what people think love is, is the greatest and most important measure of our progress in all of this. So the inward reality of the new birth becoming, becoming an outward expression of life. It's not something that happens overnight. It's in increments, it's in measures, it's in degrees. That's what it means to become. Jesus is our example of this, right? And, and the Bible says he grew in stature. He grew in wisdom. And he grew in favor with God and men. You don't physically grow up overnight. And the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life is not something that happens overnight. And without cooperation with him on our part, it's something that will never happen in a whole lot of God's people. And that's very sad to me. So the love is the greatest and most important measure of our progress. Now, are you still with me? Am I giving you too much tonight? Can you hang, can you, can you hang with me a few more minutes? So, in essence, 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a list, okay? Um, it talks about spiritual gifts. Are they important? Yes. But is that the most important measure of our progress? No. That's why, that, that's the, that's what's being communicated by those questions or those statements, I've turned them into questions here. Um, he says, if you speak with tongues of men and angels but don't have love, you're just, you're just making noise and taking up space. How about this? Is, is the greatest and most important measure of our progress, the inward reality of the new birth becoming the outward expression of life, is the greatest measure of, of that process how eloquently or powerfully we speak? It's important, but no. Is it how accurately we prophesy? Again, important, but no. Is it how much wisdom and revelation we have? Now, it's, it's hard to get more important than wisdom and revelation from God. But again, as important as that is, 1 Corinthians 13 says you can have all of these things, all wisdom, all knowledge, um, operating in the highest level of all of these things, but without love, it's all for naught. Is it measured by how knowledgeable we are in the scriptures? The answer to that one is no. And let me remind you that the men who crucified Jesus could quote the Bible backwards. Still clueless. Is it how much faith we operate in? Now see this one, you're like, oh man, the faith can't even please God without faith. That's, a, that's absolutely right. And as important as faith is and growing and developing in faith, amen, is important. But it's still not the greatest and most important measure of our progress, according to the scriptures. 
well, surely it's how generous we are. You know. Is that how we know? Is generosity and giving and, 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 and selflessness? Yes, all that's important. How about this? Is it how much we give then? How much we serve? How much we sacrifice? Now, I'm, I'm belaboring this point because I'm wanting you to see why love and those 15 characteristics of what love actually is, why that then becomes the greatest measure and most important measure of our progress when we're talking about the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. Let me put first, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 2, 3, and 4. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. If I had, you know, the time to devote to it tonight, we're not going to take the time. But grace and peace are two things you want to have going on for you, going on in you and in your life, okay? And notice that those things are multiplied in your life by a factor of the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord in your life. So multiplied, you, you do realize that the biggest number you can conceive times zero is zero. Right? A thousand times zero is zero. You know what? It's not just zero, it's a thousand zeros. Are you, are you seeing this? Okay. So... Father God has freely given to us and made available to us His grace, His peace. But if you have zero knowledge of, of, of God and Jesus Christ and, and, and all that that communicates, the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, if you have zero understanding of that, then grace and peace multiplied by a factor of zero in your life is zero. The more you understand the true knowledge of God and the more you understand uh, the knowledge of Jesus our Lord, that's Manthano, by the way, that's discipleship. That's learning. Grace and peace will be multiplied in your life by that factor. As His divine power will give to us, is that what it says? It says His divine power has given to us, past tense, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us, not will be, have been, past tense, they're yours now, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now I'm rushing through some things that we could probably take 15, 20 minutes on here. I'm just trying to, again, introduce some things to you, lay some groundwork for you, so I thank you for being patient with me tonight. And I appreciate you trusting me. You go look it up in the Scriptures. What we find in Ephesians 2 is that when we were born of our parents, we were born from the corrupted seed of Adam. And when we were born of the corrupted seed of Adam, we were born with a corrupt nature. The Bible says that we had within us, uh, we were by nature children of wrath. Not just by our, 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 our actions, but our very nature was one of wrath. We were by nature children of wrath. So the only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produces that thing because the seed that produces a thing determines the nature that's in that thing. That's why Jesus said you must be born again because the only way you can get rid of the old nature and be a partaker of, partake means to have an equal share in, the only way you can have an equal share in the nature, the divine nature of God is if you're born a second time from His seed. 
You talk about a big idea, man. See, there's a lot, there's a lot here, but li- I'm just, oh, sweet Jesus. Listen to me now. I, I know this may be, sound like a, such a simple answer, but sometimes the most complicated questions, especially when it comes to, to Bible and God and theological things, it's not a complicated answer. It's a simple answer. Why did God give Adam a choice? Why did he do that knowing he was going to do it? Why did God even bother? Because the big idea of God was figuring out how he could put his nature in you and you choose it. You choose it. Anybody on planet earth that has God's nature in them right now is a man or a woman who has chosen to have his nature in them. I have his divine nature in me because he made it possible and he brought the understanding of it to me, but I chose to receive him. See, love doesn't assume. I know that sounds silly. Love doesn't assume. Adam fell from a very high place. Jesus restored you to a higher place still. Jesus restored... I'm going to say it. I'm not trying to get anybody... Jesus restored you to a place from which you now cannot fall. It's almost like you want to tell folks, look now, I know you want to get saved, but you need to know there's no one doing this. If you're going to, if you're going to get saved, he's fixing to, put, he's fixing to take the nature of wrath out of you, the offspring of wrath out of you, and he's going to put his nature in you. And it's pretty much going to ruin any fun you would ever have again sinning. Because you're going to go sin and the Holy Spirit's going to go with you because when He comes to live in you, He comes to live in you forever. And you, you are never going to be comfortable in sin ever again. We have become a partaker of the divine nature of God. It's a big idea. It's a big idea. It's a risky one. (laughs) Now, the divine nature of God is the inward reality of a new birth now. I'm trying to show you something. I'm trying to lay it out for you, okay? The, The divine nature of God is the inward reality of a new birth. Do not let people tell you that you have two natures if you're a born-again uh, child of God. For that matter, don't, don't, even, don't even let them tell you that you have two natures if you're not a born-again child of God. A thing cannot be two things at the same time. And what the Lord showed me many years ago is that the reason it seems like we have two natures in us pulling against us is because the nature of the old man left an imprint on your thinking. He left an imprint and some residue on your soul. And it still, still, it still feels like, seems like, that he's still alive in there. He is not alive in there. Jesus buried your old man in an unmarked grave with himself. And when you called upon him, he raised you up together with him to newness of life. And he put a brand new spirit in you. A new nature in you. 
So the divine nature of God then is the inward reality of the new birth. Are you following me now? This is important. The divine nature of God is now the inward reality of the new birth. And remember again, we're talking about the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. If we had to use one word to sum up the divine nature of God, it would be love. If we had, I'm I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't other descriptive things that we could use to, 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 to describe our Heavenly Father. But if we're going to, if we're going to, if only one word. See, I think a lot of people would say power. But they don't understand the secret to His power is His love. So if we become a, a partaker of the divine nature of God, and the divine nature of God is love, do you see now why love then is the greatest and most important measure of our progress in when it comes to the inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. Thank you for those amens. I, I pray that you're getting this. Now, let me try. I think we've got a few more minutes. Can you, can you hang in here a few more minutes? Yeah? Jesus. Let's go real quick, right here. Right, 1 Corinthians 13, I put it on the screen. 1 through 13. This, these are some of the verses we've referred to uh, this evening. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. I'm sorry. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. So he's fixing to give us these 15 distinguishing characteristics of the love. Not not just a love, the love. Suffers long and it's kind. That means it's patient as long as the person uh, needs patience. Um, And it's kind in the process. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail, and where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. Now, that verse right there has has been the uh, uh, the 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 piece of the stick of dynamite that has blown entire churches into different denominations as far as what that verse actually means. Again, quit looking for something so deep and complicated that you miss the simple things that he's saying here. So, when that which is perfect has come, he's talking about the the. Let me just cut to the chase. He's not. I, I do not believe he's talking about the 66 books of the Bible. That's what a lot of people say, okay? That which is perfect has come. You say, well, he's talking about Jesus. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that, all right? But as far as you're concerned as a born-again believer, he's already come in you. So now we're talking about being perfected in love. Not just being perfected in faith, not just being perfected in knowledge, not just being perfected in spiritual gifts, not just being perfected in service, not just being perfected in sacrifice. Not, all those things are important. We need to grow. We need to develop in all those things. But listen, all that stuff compared to love, 
Now abides faith, hope, and love. These three, and the greatest of these is love. When you see that word perfect, you've got to start thinking. He's talking about development. He's talking about maturity. When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love these three, but the greatest of these is love. Now, there's a lot here. I understand that. Here's, here is the, let's, let's just start, you know, if you've got, you got a ball of twine that's all knotted up, you've got to find an end to start pulling, okay? And so let's, we found an end here. We're going to start gently pulling it, and we're going to unravel this, and we're going to see the picture that, that Father wants us to see. Amen? All right. So now what we need to connect first is what we see in verse 11 and 12. And it's the interesting connection between our growth from child to adult. Okay? He's talking about developing here. He's talking about growing here. He's talking about maturing here. Okay? Growing up into Jesus in all things. The inward reality of the new birth becoming outward expression of life. It's a process. Okay? But notice he connects our growth from spiritual child to spiritual adult with our reflection in a mirror. Now, if you've studied the Scriptures, you know that this is not the only place that the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, talks about this whole mirror and our growth and development. You still with me? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, come on, what is there? There's liberty. But we all, so this isn't just for the pastor. This, just, this isn't just for the, the extreme fanatic on the fringes of, of Christianity. When he says, but we all, this is mainline. This is for every child of God. This is for every born-again believer. This is the, 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 one of the key ways that Father's big idea is coming to pass in your life and in my life. But we all with unveiled face. What are you talking about? He's talking about taking off the mask. He's talking about coming out of hiding. He's talking about, um, you know, hiding behind our denomination, hiding behind our religion, hiding behind our uh, uh, fears and all these other things. With an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, you have to keep reading to fully understand what he's saying here. But listen to me now. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is a Christian? What, what, see, we, we have so lost touch with what that word means. Christian means one who is like Christ. A Christian is somebody who's life so reflects Jesus that people accuse them of being like him. Now this is where, see, there's not many churches that I know of, Bible-believing churches, 
that, that you could make that statement in and wouldn't get a, 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 an amen or a nod or a grunt or something. In other words, people agree with that. But let me tell you where the, huge, where the huge disconnect takes place. Yes, we're to be like Jesus. Yes, we're to live like Jesus. Yes, we're to imitate our Father. Yes, we're to love like Jesus loves. Yes, we're to love others like Jesus has loved us. They'll say yes and amen to all of that. But where the disagreement and the confusion comes in is how do we actually pull that off? How do we actually effectively do that? Is it by uh, our hard work? Is it by our effort? Is it by our sacrifice? Listen, certainly there's effort here. There's, but, but listen to me now. The effort that we're talking about, if it's not cooperative effort, if it's not you cooperating with God and His Spirit inside of you, you are wasting your time. So what is he saying here? Are being transformed. That word transform is an important word. It's talking about something changing talking about transformation it's talking about progress the word here is metamorphosis right and in you know you know a butterfly is more than a caterpillar with some wings sewed on his back when a caterpillar goes into that cocoon what happens it emerges from that cocoon as as a butterfly or something happens on the inside and, and that change then eventually bursts through that cocoon and, and the beauty uh, and, and, and the splendor of that butterfly is now revealed. This word is the word metamorpho, the word we get our word metamorphosis from. He's talking about something changing that's, 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 that's coming through you, that's being presented. It's, it's bursting forth from you. Beholding is in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That's the key to it, right? We have to behold. Behold means to take a long and thoughtful look. You don't just take a glance. You know, it, it's, it's like, you know, when you've got a really important event and you want to make sure your hair's fixed right. Versus you're going outside to cut the grass and you didn't even pay attention. You just brushed your teeth in front of the mirror and didn't even look at your hair. Your hair was in the mirror, but you didn't even see it, right? Behold, he's talking about a lingering look, a long and thoughtful look with deep consideration. That's beholding. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. With an unveiled face, beholding... Come on now, you got to get this. With an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. He says when we do that, we're transformed into the same image just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, I'm just going to say it. Are you ready? He's saying that when... Back in the old days when I could come in there and I want to get closer to you for this. Amen. Let me just stay right here, please. <clears throat> when you look into a mirror, what, what do you see when you look in the mirror? You see yourself. But he says to the extent that you're that you're able to look into a mirror and see Jesus reflecting back to you. Meaning what? Meaning that you don't see yourself 
as a recovering addict. You don't see yourself as somebody who slept with another man's wife. You don't see yourself as somebody who's gotten very little right in your lifetime. But you look into that mirror and you don't see the outward man. You see the inward man. The ability that you have to look into a mirror and see who Jesus made you to be. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. This is what transforms you into the very image that you're seeing in that mirror. This is what brings the inward reality of the new birth into an outward expression of life. Stand with me. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Mm, 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 mm. All right, we're going to come back to this. This is heavy stuff. Don't, if you say, I'm not getting it now, just hang on. You, the Holy Spirit's going to help us get it. All right? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping down here on purpose, but watch this now. Here's the connection. Here's the tie-in. Okay? We're in chapter 4, verse 3 now. Um, just four, three verses down from this, it wasn't written in chapter verse, the thought continues. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in, um, in chapter 4, uh, verses 3 and 4. See the connection here. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus, who is the image of God, should shine on them. This isn't us. He has shined on us. Okay, so he goes, he goes into that whole explanation, all right, that it's God, verse 6, who's commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who's shone in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge. That's not the verse I'm looking for. Here's, here's the one, all right? Verse 7, a treasure in earthen vessels. Verses 10 and 11. Are you ready for this? Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be made, may be manifested in our mortal flesh. The word manifest means to make apparent, to make known. This is my favorite one, to show openly. That the life of Jesus may become so obvious and so apparent and, and, and so openly known. Notice now he said, he, he said our body, then he wanted to make sure everybody understood. Mortal flesh. Mortal flesh. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for what you're showing us, Lord. Father, in moments like these, my mind automatically starts going back to what I said, how I said it, how I could have said it better. Lord, I'm, I'm again, um, I could have just as well stood up here tonight and spoke in tongues because, Lord, <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the one who's got to help us connect with the truth and the reality of this and what it, the, the, the depth of it, the magnitude of it. And again, Father, if nothing else, help us understand that this is not for the fanatics on the far fringes of Christianity. But this is exactly what you had in mind when you had the idea to create us. The great mystery hidden for every generation up until Jesus revealed finally to us by the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul, Father. Christ in you. The confident expectation of everything that God is, of everything that God has, and of everything that God can do. 
Thank you, Lord, that this word will not be stolen from those who have invested their time and effort into hearing and receiving it. And Father, for those that are here tonight that, that the devil's already telling them, he's, he's talking over your head, you don't know what he's saying. Father, I thank you that these things are, are not received with the, with the intellect or the, or the meat computer of, of the brain, but with the mind of the spirit in the heart. And so we're planting seeds tonight that we're going to keep planting and we're going to keep watering. And I thank you, Father, that your word will produce the increase in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here this evening. Good things coming for you.